How y'all doing? Happy birthday, Journey. Yeah, exactly. It's our birthday. We turned seven today as a church. Seven years ago, this weekend, we held our grand opening worship experiences in the gym at Heritage Christian School. Uh, I had before last night, and then until, uh, uh, until nine o'clock, I had never told anyone what I'm about to tell you before. I was so nervous on that Saturday night, just a few minutes before that very first worship experience was going to start. I was standing in a small circle near the front of the auditorium over at Heritage Christian School, front of the gym, talking with some friends from Harvest, our mama church over in Billings, friends who had come over to be a part of the grand opening weekend. I was so nervous. My stomach was so churned up. I'm engaged in a conversation. Isn't this great? Isn't this fun? I all of a sudden had to run out the doors of the the auditorium of the gym at Heritage Christian. I ran outside over by the kitchen, if you know the landscape over there. I ran outside, kind of through this little set of double doors and through another one straight outside, and I literally stood outside dry heaving. <laughs> no joke. I know it's too much information, but all cards face up. There I was standing outside dry heaving because I was so nervous, the pressure felt so intense, and you know, I would have stayed in the circle talking with my friends from Harvest, but I thought that if the people, the guests who were there that day saw the pastor at the front of the room dry heaving, they would just go like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> so I jetted out. True story. And isn't it true as well that God's been way, way more than faithful over our seven years, right? And uh, just to sort of walk that out, just in a little bite-sized chunk, here's just a little video telling a little bit of our story and just some of what God's been up to. Here you go. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm seven years old. My Journey Church was launched in October 2005. I was only two weeks old. Here's some things that you might remember from when Journey was born seven years ago, but I sure don't. A brand new day has begun. The first thing that I want to do, make sure that you feel it too. So I'm not the only one. job journey. We're just getting started. Very funny. Very funny. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Let's stop and let's give thanks to him. God, we do worship you and we do glorify you and your name and your work. And we admit 
real, real readily, God, that all of this is you. And we thank you so much for letting us share in just a little piece of what it is you're doing in this little church called Journey, in this little town called Bozeman, this little place called Montana, this little corner of the world. And God, we ask that your work would continue in us and through us in magnificent fashion. We think about the thousands of souls who have been committed to you through the ministry of Journey, and God, we ask that you would do more because we're not done. And God, we pray that you would trust us with souls, please, and that your work would multiply and continue. And Jesus, most importantly, that we would be shaped more and more in your likeness and we would be sent out, every single one of us, every single day, on your mission, displaying and declaring the good news of the God of the universe who loves humanity and who sent your one and only son to save them. May we display and declare that with everything that we are, please, Jesus. It's all for you and it's all in your name, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And everyone agreed together and said, Amen. We're continuing this conversation around Jesus for president, and it isn't about politics because, remember, it's no politics here. We are, however, talking about how Jesus Christ himself influences our influence, meaning how Jesus Christ, through us, influences and make a, makes a difference in our world. That includes government, it includes politics, it includes the public sphere, absolutely. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus for President influences the Department of the Treasury, money stuff we're going to talk about today. And the Department of the Treasury at a national level is a big deal, isn't it? A really big deal. According to their website, the mission of the United States Department of the Treasury is to maintain a strong economy create economic and job opportunities by promoting the conditions that enable economic growth and stability at home and abroad, strengthen national security by combating threats and protecting the integrity of the financial system, and managing the U.S. government's finances and resources effectively. Stated mission of the United States Department of the Treasury. That's their role in our world. Now, we hear that, and we go whether we're Democrat, whether we're Republican, whether we're independent, you look at the facts and what you know and what we say is that United States is in a very bad way when it comes to how we've managed and continue to manage the resources that have been entrusted to our federal government, right? You just say that. Did you know, for instance, and I'm just gonna tell you right up front, I'm gonna depress you. This is gonna be really, really, really depressing for about five minutes here. And I'm doing that to set you up for the hope that God offers on the other side of all this, okay? So we're going to sort of circle the drain here for a moment, but then we're going to ask God to sort of uh, unplunge us from that drain. Is that a word? I don't think it's a word, but seven years in, we're making up words. Did you know, for instance, this is going to be depressing. Did you know, for instance, that if the federal government started today repaying the national debt at a rate of just $10 million a day, If we started paying it back $10 million a day, it would take 3,800 years to pay off the national debt. We're all dead and gone, right, by that time. The U.S. national debt is increasing by $4 billion every single day. Depressing. Today, like this is Sunday, right? The U.S. government is going to borrow approximately $2.63 million every single minute. Every 60 seconds, $2.63 million 
dollars. Back on September 30th, 1980, the U.S. national debt was $907 billion. Just 30 years later, the U.S. national debt is 16 times larger. Projections tell us that by 2019, the U.S. government will be paying $900 billion a year just in interest on the national debt. That's a mess, an incredible mess, isn't it? I'll keep going to take your depression even deeper. The United States government currently borrows 41 cents of every single dollar that it spends. 41 cents of every single dollar that it spends we borrow. And when you break down the debt that the U.S. government owes just to the nation of China, it comes to over $10,000 per American family just to China. And you hear all that, and no matter party affiliation, you just have to, from a really, really common sense standpoint, go, the United States government, the Department of the Treasury, is in a very bad way financially. We are all messed up. And that causes smart people to go, well, how in the world did we get that messed up as a nation? How in the world did America's checkbook get so far out of balance? How did we run up that much debt? And I offer today that we need only look in the mirror to find the answer. Now, this is going to get even more depressing because we're going to go like, into American households now. Like It's fine to right, point fingers at the federal government and go, yeah, federal government, but we're going to point it like right here now, okay? Total U.S. household revolving debt, 98% of that, by the way, is credit card debt. Total U.S. revolving debt was $793 billion in May of 2011. $793 billion American households owe. Total U.S. consumer debt was $2.43 trillion as of May 2011. That's like us, right? That's not the government. That's United States of Americans, us. Average credit card debt per household with credit card debt. $15,800. Households with credit card debt, average debt, almost $16,000. And then you look at U.S. revolving consumer debt. That's almost all, by the way, credit card debt. Requires 14% of consumer disposable income to service it. 14% of American households with consumer debt, it's taking 14% of their disposable income just to service that debt. And what I know is that that's mostly made up of minimum payments, right? They're not really even chipping into the principal. They're just servicing the debt, paying last month's interest, sort of. 14% of consumer disposable income to service it. As a nation, that's what we're spending. And so it seems as if the United States Department of Treasury then is like taking their cues from a whole bunch of Americans who are in debt up to their eyeballs, some of them even beyond their eyeballs. It would seem then that so many Americans are taking their cues from the United States Department of the Treasury going like, well, if they can do it, so can we. The the U.S. government, they're smart people, right? They're figuring out a way to pay all of that debt back. So if they can do it, I'll, I'll just accrue debt. I got credit cards and we'll just pile it up and pile it up. We'll figure it out, right? They can do it, so can I. And I know, I know there's exceptions. Not everyone in the United States of America is in a financial mess, but so many people are, just look at the stats. And when it comes to money, what we also know is that it's so easy to get into a mess financially. Just a couple of bad decisions, even just one really bad decision, and you got a bigger mess than you can even imagine. But I also really want you to hear this. 
that when it comes to finances, you cannot stay in a financial mess and be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. You can't stay there. Jesus for president requires that you involve him in your personal financial world. At some point, whether it's early in your walk with Jesus or later in your walk with Jesus, I'd advocate for earlier, President Jesus' administration is going to want to deal with all of us in the area of finances. At some point or another, he's going to want to deal with us as a nation in the area of finances. And how do I know this? Because you read the New Testament of the Bible, and you see that Jesus says an awful lot about money, doesn't he? But get this, at the same time he says a lot about money, he never asked for any. Jesus never, ever asked for any. And see, it goes like this. Because Jesus is God, because Jesus knows stuff about human nature, Jesus knows that our money and our hearts are inextricably linked. Jesus knows that this, and this is my wallet, it's so, I have a George Costanza wallet, right? Amen to that. Can't even put it in my back pocket. Jesus knows that this, and this is one of our checkbooks, they're tied very, very tightly to our hearts. Jesus just knows that. But at the end of the day, Jesus also is not at all interested in our money. However, he is incredibly interested in our hearts, every single one of our hearts. Which means really that if your heart is going to belong entirely to him, if your heart is going to be under the rule, under the authority of President Jesus, then he's got to be the one who's calling the shots when it comes to our financial world, including at a national level. He's got to be the one who calls the shots. Today we're going to get right down to the nitty-gritty stuff, right at the place where we're all living, really, really practical. You could walk out those doors today, set this stuff to work if you so choose. Four decisions that I'm going to challenge you to today, four decisions I'm going to invite you to, four decisions that really are the application of this verse, Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust their own insight are what? Foolish. Those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is what? Safe. That's a verse that's worth committing to memory in my view. And it's worth committing to memory because inside that verse is this promise that absolutely and entirely applies to our financial world whether it's ours at the sort of micro level or whether it's the United States Treasuries at a sort of macro level. And it's this promise right here. If you will walk in wisdom, you'll be safe. If you'll walk in wisdom when it comes to your personal finances, as a country, if you'll walk in wisdom as it comes to your national finances, then what? You'll be safe. And you'll entirely avoid waking up someday and going like, oh my gosh, how'd we get into this mess? How'd I get into this mess? How in the world am I ever going to get out of this mess? God, I need a bailout. If you walk in wisdom, you'll avoid ever waking up and saying, God, I need a bailout. If you walk in wisdom, you'll avoid looking back and going, you know, all those bad decisions just caught up with me. And what I'm inviting you to today is just to choose, to decide up front beforehand that you're going to walk in wisdom. You're going to forget about everything else. You're going to forget about every other voice in the world that's shouting at you to do this or do that or buy this or buy that and walk in wisdom so that you don't get all tangled up in a mess, get all tangled up in a world of hurt. And so these four wise decisions I'm going to invite you to, and they're four decisions that none of us really have been trained to make, though I will make this exception. If you're Dutch, 
you've been trained in these. <laughs> right? I understand that if you're Dutch, they won't even let you out of the crib until you've mastered these four decisions. And see, if you'll make these decisions, if you'll stick to them, maybe today you're in a very, very bad way financially. And that's just where you are, and you just know, and every day it's just like pressure, pressure, pressure. If you make these commitments, if you stick to these commitments, God promises peace that defies human explanation. Contentment that defies human explanation. And it isn't going to happen overnight. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's coming. If you'll make and stick to these commitments, the pressure will just, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, it'll just dissipate from your life. Maybe you're a married couple. And maybe every single time in your marriage, money is just the sticky wicket for you guys. Every single time you talk about it, you try to talk about it, it's like fireworks, and I'm not talking about the bedroom kind of fireworks, right? The other kind of fireworks, bad kind. But I'm telling you as a married couple, if you'll make and keep these commitments together, they'll breathe entirely new life into your relationship, into your marriage, no more explosive, heated conversations around money. I want to be real honest about this. Far too many people, we've been taking our cues financially from a culture that wants, listen to this, everything from us, but nothing for us. So many people, even at a national level, we've been taking our financial cues from a culture that wants everything from us, but nothing for us. We've been coached in financial matters from business and from marketers who want everything from us but nothing for us. We've been listening to the loudest voices in the world. Businesses, marketers, people who just want something from us, that and that and that and that and just leverage it up, right? They want from us. They don't give a rip about anything for you but yet at the polar opposite side of the conversation stands God one and only sovereign and supreme God of the universe, our heavenly Father, the one who made you, the one who breathed life into you, the one who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you, the one who wants unimaginably wonderful things for you, and at the same time, he doesn't need a single thing from any one of us. Doesn't need a single thing from any one of us, and that's God. And that's who he is, and that's what he's about. And that means that instead of listening to culture, we're going to listen to our Heavenly Father who wants things for your life, not from your life. Four decisions, four choices, four invitations, four challenges, starting with this one. Choose what percentage of your income you're going to live on, and then do it. That is a revolutionary thought for an awful lot of people, isn't it? I guarantee the United States Treasury is not doing that. We see the fruit of it, don't we? Altogether, too many American households aren't doing that, and we see the fruit of it. Because if we did, none of us, all the way up to the national level, none of us would be in the fiscal mess we're in today. Very few couples have ever sat down and just stopped the financial bus and gone, all right, what percentage of my income do we want to live on? We just haven't done it. And here's the crazy thing. We're all living on a percentage of our income, aren't we? Every one of us is conducting business and interacting with the financial world, and so we're all living on a percentage of our income. But you go back to the proverb that we started with, wouldn't it be wise to stop the bus and discover what percentage that is today so that then you can choose what you want it to be 
so that culture and greed and business and marketers aren't the ones who are deciding for you. Because see, if we're not the ones deciding up front, then all we're doing is setting ourselves up to live past 100% of our income. By the way, statistics tell us most American households live at about 110% of their income. 110% of their income because they're not choosing, they're not deciding, they're not drawing a line in the sand. That means most American households are living beyond their means because that's what culture and marketers are beckoning us to all the time. But God's wisdom says you choose, you pick, you decide. You pick the percentage, draw a line in the sand, and just live there. And just live there. And get this, when you choose what percentage of your income you're going to live on, that means you're deciding some things in advance. You're deciding, actually, that you're going to use a very unpopular word in our culture these days, and it's the word no. You're deciding in advance that you're going to say no to some purchases. You're going to say no to some upgrades, aren't you? You're deciding in advance that you're going to look at the really cool stuff that some other people have and like, oh, that's cool stuff. Oh, I'd love to have that. But, oh, I could have that, but I'm not going to have that. You're making that decision. You're the one choosing. And see, the difference that exists, the gap that exists there between what you could have and what you choose to have, you know what that gap is called? It's called peace, right? It's called the ability to give and to save, and sometimes it's the, called the ability to breathe, right? Just stop the financial bus. Discover the percentage you're living on, and then choose a new percentage, or maybe the percentage you're at right now works for you, and you want to live there. That's fantastic, but choose it and stick with it, because when you do, there's margin. When you do, there's peace. Uh, choice number two, keep track of your spending, this is a revolutionary thought for lots and lots of people. The Department of the Treasury struggles with this one sometimes. Keep track of your spending. And this is especially important if you're a follower of Jesus Christ because, see, if you're one of God's children, it's not your money that you're keeping track of. It's God's, remember. And we're just managing it for a little bit of time. And see, when we're managing God's money, we've got to know where his money's going. We've got to have a way of tracking it. Water's not just spilling out randomly across the ground. Rather, we have this ordered system for how it gets distributed. We know where it's going. How many money conversations have you ever been in where the conversation started with? Well, it seems to me. But when it comes to the money deal, no money conversation should ever start with those words. Shouldn't ever be part of the conversation because we're striving for wisdom in our financial world. And wisdom looks like this. I know how much comes in, I know how much goes out, and I know where everything that goes out is going. I just know. And imagine if we, as Americans individually, applied that to our lives. Might that movement sweep across the country, and might we demand that of the people who are in charge of our tax dollars? Imagine that. Now, I think budgeting is a fantastic thing. I'm an advocate, big advocate of budgeting. But a better thing even than budgeting is knowing exactly what's coming in, exactly what's going out, and where everything that's going out is going. Just keep track of it. And you can do this if you make a little money. You can do this if you make a lot of money. And it's real critical because, remember, every dollar that hits our checkbook or our wallet or our 401k, our IRA, it's not ours. It's God's. And so that means we must be wise with that which he's entrusted to us for just a short period of time. Choice number three, 
Get out of debt, especially the dumb kind. Get out of debt, especially the dumb kind. That's Dave Ramsey's phrase. And dumb debt, just for the record, it's not your mortgage. It's not your business debt most of the time. Dumb debt is like credit card debt, car loans, and so Dumb debt is the stuff you owe money on that's worth what you owe or even less than what you owe. Debt that makes you feel pressure is dumb debt. Proverbs 22, 7 says this, the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to the lender. And we don't want to be indentured servants to a bunch of lenders. Corporately, as a nation, we don't want to be indentured servants to anyone. And see, individually, we can't decide for the country, but we can decide individually to change that. We can decide right here, right now, today, that we're going to get out of debt. That'll require that you come up with a plan, because you've got to have a plan. It won't ever happen if you don't have a plan. And you might map out your plan to get out of dumb debt, and you might go, okay, it's going to take three years or five years to walk that plan out and pay off all of your dumb debt. But here's what I promise you. You will be amazed and how God shows up when you start to work a God-honoring, get-out-of-dumb-debt plan. He shows up. He shows up, and he shows up because he cares about this, because he wants all of us to be off of the borrower's hook. And time and again, I've heard stories, and I've seen lives firsthand. People who are working, God-honoring, get-out-of-debt plans, and God just shows up. And somebody who thought it was going to take him five years, it took him two years. Somebody who thought it was going to take seven years, it took three and a half years. And that's just what God does because it honors him. He actually wants you to have more peace. He actually wants you to be more generous. He actually wants you to adopt that kid from Ethiopia who you know you're supposed to adopt, but you're saying, I can't afford to adopt that kid. He actually wants you to go on that trip to Ethiopia to have your world rocked and messed up and be forever different and think differently about a global God. He wants for you to go, but you've said, I can't because I can't afford it. He wants you to go. He wants for you to give generously to his church so that more people can experience this community that's lit up about following him and serving him and living on his mission. He wants all of us to be freed up from being slaves. He doesn't want that for any of us in any category in our lives, especially the money category. So just decide today. Drive a stake in the ground. I'm going to get out of dumb debt and make a plan for how that can happen. You will not ever regret that. Choice number four, and we're gonna land here today. Set yourself up this way so you can give first, save second, and live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. Imagine if every household in America did that. Imagine if the United States Department of Treasury took that God's principle and just set that to work because that's his order of things. See, anytime the way God orders it, anytime we experience increase or income, God's order is that the first check we're supposed to write is to give to him, to his work, to his church. And the Bible says that 10% is a great place to start with that. The next place, according to God's order, is this check that you write to yourself that's a savings check. It seems like 10%, though not prescribed by God, seems like 10% is a smart savings check amount. It's wise, right? And then what do you do? You live on the rest, which means you're living on 80%. And maybe you just start there. Maybe you try that. Do the 80% thing. I'm going to give 10, and I'm going to save 10, and I'm going to live on 80. And what happens when you follow God's model 
is that you won't ever find yourself in a financial mess unless there's some catastrophe that strikes your life. Because you've been saving and you've been setting yourself up to succeed, not setting yourself up to fail. This is God's deal. It's his setup. It didn't come from Dave Ramsey. It didn't come from Larry Burkett. It didn't come from some early church father. This is God's arrangement. You give first. Because when you do that, you're aligning your life. You're aligning your financial world with God's values. And when you do that, you're breaking the power of greed. You reign in discontentment. You partner with God and the eternal work that he's put inside of you on all of our hearts. But that's the precise opposite deal of culture, isn't it? Culture screams at us every moment of every single day. Spend first, save if you can, give when you have some leftovers. That's what culture says. But remember, we're not going with the culture. We're counter-culture. We're reversing culture. We're actually trying. Jesus, through every single one of us, is wanting to change culture from Main Street, Bozeman, all the way to Washington, D.C. and around the world. And imagine what it would be like if, if that actually happened. If we actually set ourselves up to live God's model, there'd be a whole lot fewer people in financial messes. Our nations wouldn't be in financial messes. And getting out of it, the place we're in now, it's not going to happen overnight. But it'll be worth it. If you decide today, I'm going to make these four commitments, I'm going to just walk these out, it'll happen. And it'll happen over time and the freedom and the contentment and the joy will be beyond anything you've ever experienced before in your life. And here's why at the very end of the day that you would decide to do this if you did decide to do it. You would decide to make these commitments for one overarching reason and it's this. You never know what God has in store for you. You never know what God has in store for you and you want to make absolutely sure that finances are never the limiting factor for not doing what God wants you to do. You don't want money to be the reason that you have to say no to some invitation, some nudge, some opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. You don't want money to ever be the reason. It's what God wants for you, not what he wants from you. It's what he wants for you, every single one of us. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head, set your stuff aside. And I encourage you to just press in with Jesus on what we've been talking about, these four decisions. What's God whispering into your soul around this? God, I pray and ask for every single one of us that you would compel our hearts to these four decisions, these four commitments. And God, I pray that you would use these practices, these disciplines really to free us up in spectacular ways. That God, you would make us more generous. God, that you would cause us to be more content, more at peace. God, that through these choices that we would actually be 
more financially secure individually, as families, as singles, and as the United States of America. And God, that we would every single day be fully ready, fully prepared to do what it is that you're calling us to do. To bring your kingdom, to display and declare your good news in every sphere, wherever you send us, wherever you ask us to go, that we'd be ready. Jesus, make us ready, all of us, please.